This is Brian Gitt. My name is Patrick Moore. This is Dr. William Mackis. This is Bruce Party. This is Tom Luongo. This is Steve Barber, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Friday. A reminder that uh, twos and QDM tickets, uh, Quick Dick McDick, 222 minutes, you know, Tuesday mashup. They're both going to be in town here in Lloydminster at the Gold Horse Casino, November 5th. Uh, you can click on the link in show notes. We are on uh, in the show notes to buy tickets. We are under a month away and we're back on stage. It should be a fun night and uh, there's still tickets available. So by all means, uh, take a look. Love to have you in the building. Supper, comedy show, live podcast. It should be a fun night with a social to follow. So uh, a little bit of fun for everyone, I think. Uh, today's an interesting one. Before we get there, let's get to today's episode sponsors, Steve Barber and the team over at Upstream Data. Uh, go back to episode 163. Man, that's a long time ago. Or episode, how about just recently, 318. Uh, he's been on twice and and talking, uh, you know, in the beginning about Bitcoin and Upstream Data and all they do. And then some of his philosophy on, you know, why they don't adopt some of the terminology, the green agenda and, and things like that. There, it's Steve's a... a a pretty interesting cat when it comes to learning about him and his company. Well, Upstream Data, all you got to do is go to upstreamdata.ca for all their information. They pioneered a creative solution for vented and flared natural gas at Upstream Oil and Gas Facilities. Uh, you know, essentially pairing a, a modular Bitcoin mining data center to a place where wasted energy was happening. And uh, together they, you know... Uh, use that wasted energy to convert it into uh, um, the ability to mine Bitcoin kind of off the grid. It's pretty, pretty sweet. Now they've uh, expanded into a whole lot of different areas. You know, you can get them for heating your, your garage. <laughs> I know a couple guys doing that. Um, but I mean, I got to go explore their, uh, their, um, their warehouse and, and see kind of how they're, they're building them and everything. It's pretty cool. Anyways, I'll uh, I'll stop babbling. Upstreamdata.ca is where you can find out more uh, information. Rectech Power Products. Uh, for over 20 years, Rectech Power Products have committed to excellence in the power sports industry. They offer a full lineup of including Scanam, Skidoo, Sea-Doo, Mer- Spider, Mercury, Evinrude, Mahindra Roxer. They got a full parts department uh, open uh, Monday through Saturday. They can hook you up with any odds and, or ends in the maintenance field, I'm sure, by... Uh, the the way we all go through things and 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 rough on equipment here through the summer months, um, you know, and then the winter sports coming up here. Uh, get your machine working properly. Just uh, give them a call seven eight zero eight seven zero fifty four sixty four, or maybe just go see what they got to offer. Because uh, you know, rectechpowerproducts.com, They can you can see what they're what they're cooking with over there. HSI Group. They're the local oil field burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliance system working for you. They also offer, and I'm seeing this everywhere now, uh, security surveillance and automation products for residential, commercial livestock, and agricultural applications. You know, it's uh, as the winter months uh, are quickly approaching, and I hate to keep saying that because I, I want nothing more than the sun to stay out, and I hope it does. Um, they uh, they can, uh, y- you farmers out there that don't want to be, you know, we're a little ways away, but checking cows and everything else, you can get some systems for that. Uh, you know, here at the office, we got the FOB, so nice and easy getting in and out. I know uh, Profit River, a different uh, uh, um, supporter of the podcast, they use it for their, their facility. So there's a whole bunch of different applications. Uh, you know, you can use it on your house, that type of thing. Either way, stop in today, 3902 52nd Street, or give Brody or Kim a call at 306-825-6310. And Gartner Management is a Lloydminster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs, whether you're looking for a small office or maybe you got uh, a big 
requirements. I don't know what that means, but you know, you need a you need a shop or you need multiple offices. Wade can hook you up. Give him a call, 780-808-5025. Now let's get on that tail of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals delivering to your farm, commercial or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. He's an investigative journalist who's been exiled from pretty much every platform. I'm talking about Wayne Peters. So buckle up. Here we go. This is Wayne Peters, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Wayne Peters. So first off, sir, thanks for uh, hopping on. Pleasure. I think I, as we were talking just a minute ago, I think this is a, a long overdue. Uh, I'm glad to finally get a chance to sit down and have an actual discussion. Well, I um for for the listener, I, so I can't, I can't remember. I should I should have wrote this down. I had a listener text me. Um, your name has come up more more than once, but a listener texted me last week, and I'm like, you know, it is long overdue. And I got to tell this. Uh, I don't know if it's a fun little story, but a story about Wayne because I don't I highly doubt Wayne knows this. But uh, when I first started interviewing the Julie Panassis, the Stephen Pellicks, you know, I went down that road, um, essentially August 2021, somewhere in that time frame, I stumbled onto this guy named Wayne Peters. And I started watching your stuff at that time. It was on YouTube, if memory uh, serves me correct. And I was looking at the dates you'd interviewed those people. And it had been like six months, maybe even longer than that, prior to when I interviewed Julie Panassi. And uh, I'll take the listener back. At the time I interviewed her, it was about three days later that she was uh, stepped away or removed from her job out, out east. And I, I remember thinking like, holy man, who is Wayne? And how on earth did he like tap into this? You know, lots of people say oh, I was I was on it right from the beginning. And I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I was like, I was not on it from the very beginning. I was kind of like, huh. But I stumbled onto your stuff, started listening to it, and then followed suit and started interviewing a ton of the people you'd had on and certainly a, a bunch of people that had come out of the woodworks after that. Um, so first off, my hat's off to you because you were one of the guys who was first through the door taking, I can't imagine what having those people on. I'm sure the 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 appreciation was huge, but I'm sure. <laughs> people coming at you must have been wild too so either way thanks for uh helping this guy out because uh uh without some of the interviews you you did i wouldn't have had any direction on people to go interview in canada uh, particularly because all of your content at the time if memory serves me correct um was a bunch of canadian doctors professors lawyers uh you name it anyways you get the point yeah, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was an interesting time. Um, so I, in, in, I guess I need to set a little bit of a backstory on this. It, you know, I'd had 15 years of, of, uh, uh, fire and, and, uh, rescue training and, and work experience. So when they first came out with the masks and stuff, I was all over that. I mean, I had 15 years as a breathing spe air specialist. I knew that this was a load of bunk and I really didn't want to get, involved in in the medical side of it because that wasn't my 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 side of, of uh understanding that this what they were doing was was not just criminal and insane but it was dangerous so that i i started getting involved in the whole covid thing i mean i'd been covering uh, events and and issues across canada driving back and forth across the country for a couple of years three years at that point but i uh 
I started to dig into this whole nonsense and I'd seen a post on Twitter and, and you're right. I was on, on YouTube. I, I had a, you know, a wide, a pretty good uh, audience on YouTube. And I come across a post on Twitter about some doctors that were looking to have a debate with the Ontario medical uh, association and nobody'd ever heard of these guys. Nobody knew anything about them. So I started digging. Um, I was curious who was brave enough to, to do that. And I came across Dr. Byron Bridal uh, and, and a group, this group of doctors that had challenged the, the uh, Ontario uh, health to uh, a debate. And it was interesting because at that time, nobody had ever heard of Dr. Bridal, Dr. Panessi, Dr. Alexander, uh, any of these doctors. Uh, it, and they were very nervous about it. Um, so they literally drew straws as to be as to who would uh, come on my show and talk about this initiative to challenge for a debate. And Dr. Bridal lost out. And, and, and uh, I remember that show so vividly. Um in the five minutes pre-show, just chatting with him, he was so nervous. He was stuttering so bad. Uh, I didn't know at the time that he actually had Tourette's, but uh, I, I thought, okay, well, this guy, he really needs to talk. And that was the, the, the premise of my show is people can hear me anytime they want. All they got to do is call me. When I get a guest on, that's their time to get out everything that they need to, to share. And he, it was like, uh, he he i think he felt in that moment he was never going to get a chance to speak again because he was like a fire hose he and uh, uh he went for an hour and a half and literally 30 seconds after we were done recording my phone started to ring and it did not stop ringing for four days straight i'd get up in the morning there'd be 25 messages people trying to get a hold of me wanting to know what was going on and uh, um, I'd already spoken with some of the other doctors and I said, you know, if this goes well, I'd like to to give each one of you a, a show so that uh, you guys could get out your specialty and, and, and uh, people could actually see some faces, not these anonymous quote unquote experts. That was the thing that I wanted to do is, is I wanted people that had faces to, you know, that, that could be connect that humanity to this thing instead of these nameless experts <clears throat> so that uh it really changed everything that i do um that one show um i realized by the time i was done uh interviewing the the nine doctors that were a part of that uh, initiative uh this was not going to go away and uh for the next three months it was absolutely crazy but out of that was born something else it, uh after interviewing all of these doctors and scientists and specialists, after every interview, they wanted to do more. They wanted to, to do more. And so I, I was very, you know, very networked. I knew people in a lot of different things. So I thought, well, what can we do uh, to do a little bit more? And we uh, that was kind of the push behind the Ethics Over Fear task group, which has uh, become kind of a powerhouse in its own right. It's not a, a an attention organization. It's not something that, uh, you know, is out there uh, beating down the bushes. It's a work group that, uh, you know, looks at how that they can bring tools, information, knowledge, expertise to bear in different ways. So it's been, uh, it's been a blessing. Um, it's also been a curse. It's cost me, I don't know, uh, four different YouTube channels a couple of facebook pages uh, uh a couple of twitter accounts uh you name it i banned off of linkedin uh yeah so it's been it's been quite a roller coaster ride but uh it's definitely been worth it and uh 
I can't imagine my life any differently now. Well, you're one of the first guys uh, when you got banned from YouTube and I couldn't find what I was looking for anymore. Um, A, that was really frustrating. But two, then I got banned from YouTube and I was like, well, I guess I'm just following in Wayne's shoes at the time. I remember <laughs> thinking that because I'm like, well, I mean, it sucks because within, you know, one fatal swoop, it was just like the snap of my fingers and you're removed and everything you'd worked for was just was out the door. Uh, those... Those early interviews, though, I just remember, you know, now it, it's funny because there's just so much information. It's it's information overload now where I just can't. We were talking about this before we started. Like, it's just like the, the amount of information that gets thrown my way is insane. Uh, but back then, I was so hungry for information. And you mentioned it. I think you were one of the, I, I have no idea, Wayne. You, you probably have a better idea. In Canada, though, I, I don't remember of anyone else. Uh, that I could find anything quite like that. It was Canadian content. Certainly, I could go anywhere in the world and find some doctor, some whatever, wanting to talk, and everybody flocked to it. But in Canada, I remember thinking, like, why is nobody in Canada talking? And then I stumbled on on your stuff. And the cool thing was is it was Canadians talking about Canadian stuff with Canadian experts. And the hunger for that was, in my own words, I think insane. Everybody just wanted something like that. They still do. But now there's, you know, you mentioned it. Uh, I think there was like five people at the start and now you can't keep up with everybody else's show and and all the different people starting to tell their stories. And, and it's a great thing. I think it's really good that so many people are getting a voice and getting an opportunity uh, to speak. Um, but in those early days, what you did, I don't know. There, my hands off. There was nothing out there. There was nothing out there, and it's interesting because uh, once I started to do that, by the time I had gotten three or four interviews uh, done, uh, I was still on YouTube, a couple of channels, and on those kinds of things. You're right; the hunger was just overwhelming, and uh, it. But it was really interesting because it, I got into this real pattern because you're right, nobody in Canada was doing a, a focused uh, a look at at, uh, at this from, from expert level. You know, people were talking about uh, uh, some of the events in the news, uh, doctors being cut up in the, you know, hit pieces and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but there really wasn't a, a body of work on that. So once I started to do that, it was really interesting because it seemed like uh, these doctors would be on Tucker Carlson on one night and they'd be on my show the next day. And this happened for like two, a month and a half, you know, Tucker's show my, uh, the day before and mine the next, because there was nobody in Canada doing that. And uh, now uh, I can't keep up to everybody that's, that's doing these kinds of things. So uh, I'm grateful for that. I think that it was kind of uh, uh, pioneering some bravery perhaps. Um, and, and uh, so part of it Certainly what? pioneering some bravery. Sorry to hop in just for a quick sec, because I remember having Andrew Liebenberg and he was a doctor from South, uh, South Africa come in and sit. And when you talk about uh, Byram being like so nervous, that's the interview I remember him and Roger Hodkinson yelling at me. I think everybody can remember that one. That one was, <laughs> that was quite eventful, but Roger uh, Byram, uh, sorry, Andrew Liebenberg is a name that nobody will know because he is, you know, he didn't become this, um, infamous or famous or whatever word you want to tag to it uh, over the past couple of years. He was a young guy, young family, um, but could see, and he didn't come in and say anything incredible, uh, anything crazy. He was just talking about medical ethics, but he was shaking in the chair. Like it was just like 
so evident to me. And, you know, you go back to when you talk about you and Tucker going back and forth, it's crazy to think, isn't it? Like that's, that's pretty, I mean, everybody knows who Tucker Carlson is by now. And if you don't uh, just search the name and you'll find out exactly who he is. I'm pretty sure everyone on this audience knows exactly who he is, but regardless. Well, it was, it was an interesting time, right? Uh, Because when I was interviewing those doctors, nobody had ever heard of them. Now they're some of the most famous faces in the world and people really didn't, understand the level of me- medical expertise and knowledge that we had in Canada uh, at our, you know, at our disposable, if we were brave enough to, to, to do it. And it was the same for the doctors. And that was one of the things that I wanted them to know is that this was a safe space. They could, you know, uh, there was, we were n- not there to, uh, uh, to do this so that anybody could be right. This was about getting facts and information and that was early on in all of this. And, and those doctors uh, have were then just in the forming stages of uh, this organization called the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. And so that was born in that time. In the first three or four months that uh, they were setting up in, in their platform, uh, the only content they had was interviews from What's Up Canada, the, the, the interviews that they that- had done on. Oh. that's that's what it, you said it again and, and I, um, um you were one of the first through the gate and it gave guys like uh myself and i know a whole bunch of other people a little bit of courage to be like it's okay to speak about these things because if you go back it's uh, I've, I've heard like theo talk about it lots and there's a bunch of others talk about uh just like they talk about the trauma created over the last two years and, and things like that and just in my own life, I was terrified to have some of those interviews released because I was like, I don't know what this means for me. You know, I, I tell this story all the time, Wayne. I wanted Wayne Gretzky. That's who I wanted. I didn't want, uh, you know, Peter McCullough or <laughs> Roger Hodkinson to come in and just lose his beans. But at the same time, I was okay to let the reins go for a bit because I'm like, I don't know where this has got to go, but it's got to go somewhere because the only way I get to talk about Wayne Gretzky is the days where we don't have to worry about such insanity happening in my daily life all the time and nobody willing to even broach the the subject. And one of the cool things about uh, um, people like yourself going through the gate first or the door or whatever we want to call it is now, you know, there's no free passes anymore. If you're in government or, and I mean, it isn't where it needs to get be at all, but people are talking and there's lots of shows talking and there's shows popping up all the time because there's great people that stood their ground and have built a, a bit of a following or an audience. And now they're interviewing different people uh, from across Canada, from across the world. And you're starting to have these discussions and it's taken time because it's not a, it's not a, you know, the car on the, the, the race strip that just fires up and away it goes. It's, it's more of like, the old steam engine or, or something like where it's going to take a little bit of time, but once it gets moving, we're starting to see how, um, different shows. The problem is, is you got a, you know, an opponent that's been prepping and and moving for a long time. And we're, we're seeing that as different issues continue to rise today. Well, you know, that's interesting that you bring this up, this, this transition and evolution. And this was something that, uh, I was keenly aware of, 
uh, back in uh, early 2019, when I actually 2018, 2019, when I started to do this, um, I was kind of a reluctant participant. Uh, um, I had no interest in being on the camera. I had no interest in being a personality or any of those kinds of things. But I was looking at what was going on and realizing that there was nobody that was turning on their camera and covering the truth to, you know, uh, uh, counter what the the legacy media was, was doing. So I, I was keenly aware of that. I'd spent 20 years in marketing and, and full stack web development. And I knew the flaw in the, uh, the system, shall we say. And uh, I still see this to this day, but uh, I tried to teach people about that. And I'll explain that in a moment. I tried to teach people and they wouldn't get, couldn't understand it either. I was uh, too far, I guess, because of my knowledge, 20 years in doing this kind of stuff before that. Um, I didn't want to be the face of anything. I knew how to, to, to create the uh, uh, something that would work, but I couldn't get buy-in. So um at that point, I was doing work for everybody else in their, on every other page and, and channel under the sun. Uh, and, and I was like, okay, well, I can't teach them this way, so I'll just do it and people will learn. So um, when I first started doing covering events, live stream, uh, using live stream going back 2018, 2019, I was one of the early ones doing that. And people learned uh, very quickly through the convoy in, in 2019 that wait a minute, we could beat censorship simply by being whack-a-moles. And that was kind of what happened. And although Canada didn't get to see a lot of that, the world sure did in 2019. And going back that far, people don't realize why the convoy and the the uh, uh, event in, in Ottawa in January, why it had such massive international attention immediately was because most people didn't realize that in 2019 the convoy that went to ottawa was one of the most followed subjects in the world for 72 hours straight the united we roll hashtag was the number one searched hashtag in the world we were streaming to 140 different countries through that little convoy of people nobody in canada was seeing it but the whole world was and they waited and they waited three years for us to do it again so when we did the world lit up on a dime because they had been waiting for Canada to lead the way in the resistance. So it was interesting to see this transition uh, where, you know, four years ago, three years ago, there was almost nobody uh, when I launched my platform. And now uh, people don't even go to the news anymore because uh, they, they know they're, they're only going to get the truth through alternatives. So it's a, uh, it's been a long time coming. I knew it was going to take an evolution, a time frame, um, and that was kind of what I wanted to show people. And and part of what I've done over the last couple of years now is help people understand how to avoid or evade the uh, uh, censorship. Just because you're deplatformed on one platform, that doesn't mean it's you're over, right? Uh, adapt, improvise, and overcome. That's something that the alternative industry has gotten pretty good at, um, and. and I think that uh, just by by doing what we do, um, it helps others. You know, not just in the bravery, but also in the the uh, the understanding and the and the uh, evolution of it all. A couple things. One, I think I, I, you know, I'm doing my listeners a little disservice here because I, I just assume they know who Wayne Peters is, and I chuckle because normally what I do is I get you know, and get the guests to kind of, and you've been, you know, I think by this time they're getting a good feel for you, Wayne, but you've, uh, you rattle off a bunch of things and I go, 
hmm, maybe what I should do with you right now is there's going to be a ton of people who've never heard of Wayne. They've never heard of uh, your organization. They Maybe they followed you at the start. Maybe they didn't. Who is Wayne? And what leads to 2018? Because I've, I've certainly paid attention, uh, I think enough, but at times I go, you start rattling some things off and I'm like, nope, definitely didn't know about that, right? So maybe... I know we're, we're, we're 20 minutes in and I'm chuckling at myself because sometimes I get, you know, almost a little bit giddy listeners of, you know, having somebody on and away we go and the banter follows and certainly having another guy who hosts another show. It just, it comes so easy. Um, but for the listener who doesn't know Wayne, how does Wayne get to where he's at? And you've kind of given a, a light description, but you've got a ton of history there and a ton of expertise. What leads you to 2018? I think 2018 is a pivotal year for you. Um, what leads you to there for the background portion? And then what is maybe the eye-opening event or or what have you that, you know, puts you in position to go to Ottawa in 2019? When the events are unfolding with the pandemic, what leads you to being in a position where you just start interviewing doctors? You know, <laughs> like there's there's a lot there and I we can spend a lot of time on it. But I think for the listener to get to know Wayne a bit better, I think it'd probably be uh, really important. I... I guess uh, I, I kind of have to take it back to where I come from a little bit. Um, I come from the most remote, the farthest north community in Alberta. Uh, I, I, I grew up in a place where um, I think I was into my mid or late 20s before we got our second TV uh, channel up there. We had CBC, so I had no interest in, in radio or TV, so I was always all about the research. Uh, uh, I, I, I mean, I was a bookworm. I was a, a student of history. Um, I was always the one that uh, tell me no and watch me, uh, you know, kind of grew into that here, hold my beer person um, and, and uh, always looking for something that would challenge me. Um, I'd been through a number of years of reserve training. I'd worked in fire and rescue. Uh, by then, I think people might call it a bit of an adrenaline uh, junkie type of thing. No, I mean, it wasn't crazy, but I was always looking for something that was going to keep me going, uh, you Know, racing cars, uh, dem- you know, whatever. It didn't really matter. I, I, I couldn't, I was never one to sit on my hands. And uh, I'd been uh, observing how the world had been, in my opinion, coming apart. Um, and I didn't, I, I felt very isolated and alone in all of those things. Um, with the, when Trudeau and Notley came in, or, or when Notley came into Alberta first, I just uh, opened up uh, uh, my fur, my uh, a huge brick and mortar business, and it was crushed by the uh, economy that happened almost immediately. Um, so I was quite disillusioned, but I'd been seeing what had been going on in Europe, and I thought, okay, uh, I'm gonna go look for myself because I mean, I was very had a horrible taste in my mouth from, you know, just lose having my business collapse and all of those things. Um, Cause I'd always been an overachiever. Um, so that was really, really stuck in my cross. So I went to Europe. I spent six months over there and um, looking at, at that time, it was the, the, the migrant caravans. I, I call them invasions now, but uh, what I was seeing in the news and uh, uh, all over the world was not, what I was seeing with my own eyes, boots on the ground over there. So I came back. Uh, what, what, very, what, what, what year are we talking here? 
Uh, you're talking. We're talking 2014, 2015. Uh, early 2015 was when I went to Europe. And when you talk about Europe and and seeing things firsthand, what what was mainstream saying, and what were you seeing? What what's the event that you saw differently? Oh, these poor migrants. These poor, uh, you know, poor migrants. Uh, you know, and then I couldn't help but notice that there were no women and children. None. There was no old men. There was no young children. These were fighting-aged men marching by the tens of thousands and getting mugged in Amsterdam was kind of a reality check on, okay, well, these aren't poor migrants. Some of these are criminals, and what they're telling us in the news is not accurate. Uh, The populations were terrified that we're being invaded by by these communities the crime levels were going through the roof the instant they would uh, arrive but that would not a single bit of that was was uh, in the news or media there was zero truth about about what, what the impact was on these communities that were uh, literally having their populations double uh, overnight that's no community uh, you know easily uh, you know deals with that so it was uh i was very disillusioned i knew our government had been lying to us i'd never had a faith in our canadian government i'd survived the first trudeau um as a child um one of my aunts had married a, a japanese fella so i learned about the japanese internment camps by the time i was 10 so i always had this uh uh, a healthy skepticism of our government and our institutions and the news and media. I'd seen, seen so many of the lies. So when I was over there, I came back very disillusioned. Um, honestly, at that point, I had kind of decided that there was no saving the world. I was going to uh, develop a, a, a laptop lifestyle where I could go and find a warm place to live out my days and die old and poor and warm rather than old and poor and cold in Canada. That was kind of my mindset going into uh, uh, 2018. When and- I want to pause there for a second. I want to go back to uh, anytime somebody says I lived through the first uh, Trudeau, I think, um, you know, I'm too young to remember. Right. Uh, I just, how the heck would I know? I've heard the stories. I've certainly uh, read some uh, on it. I've, I've, you know, this and that, and, and had some old timers talk about some different times that are pretty troubling. But what sticks out to you about uh, the first reign of a Trudeau in Canada? Um, and why are we so poor or or why don't we, <laughs> I don't know if it's, why don't we learn, right? Like if it was so bad the first time, why does the second time anyone think it'd be any different? Because it wasn't so bad for all of Canada the first time. Quebec made out like bandits. Right, their life immediately got got better. Their cost of living went down. Uh, uh, they didn't have environmental issues. They didn't have to drill for oil. They didn't have to supply their own energy and resources. I was uh, in my early teens when that happened, and for me, the impact was catastrophic. My parents lost their business. All of a sudden, I uh, there was no. So I, I literally was stuck taking lard or, or or potato sandwiches to school every day because there was nothing else. Uh, I had to quit hockey my my brothers had to quit hockey uh i i literally at 13 got a job in alberta 
and in grocery store, not for the wages, but because I could take home the expired goods that people couldn't afford to buy anymore. So I literally at 13 was keeping my family fed because there was nothing else. There was no welfare. Uh, there was no assistance. And that uh, my story in Alberta at that time was so not unusual. It was very, that was the norm in Alberta. So although I didn't understand the politics of it all, I grew up with a very deep-seated dislike of the government um, and the Trudeaus, and, and, and it was very uh, justified, I think, when I watched our communities collapsing uh, around me. I mean, like I say, I didn't understand the politics, but I sure understood the devastation. And it wasn't felt across Canada-wide. So typically, people don't learn the lesson until the price they pay is high enough. And now Canada as a whole is starting to see where that uh, uh has led us uh, after 30, 40 years of this <laughs> dynasty. You think it's been going on for 30, 40 years? I know it's been going on a lot longer than that. The difference is that Trudeau figured out a loophole. The senior Trudeau figured out a leap, loophole and managed to put the screws to us again. How how so? Uh, well, Trudeau senior figured out that Canada is not a sovereign nation. And uh, he put this uh, uh, charade over Canadians by uh, putting on this giant spectacle of repatriating our constitution or our charter of rights and freedoms. But at the end of it, in the fine print, uh, it was it ended up at this point being an imaginary document because it was never ratified. The French were never going to give up their language as their first language. And this document uh, being put in a position of force and effect was contingent on the French uh, giving up their language. So that was buried in there. Trudeau knew it was never going to happen. So that set up the charade where Canada for uh, you know, 40 years now has believed that we have this powerful document called the charter of rights and freedoms. And it's never really been ratified. It's really, carries no more weight than a, a monopoly board. And uh, through that, and understanding that uh, a de facto government uh, cannot be held accountable, there is no methodology to it. It is literally uh, uh, maritime law, and they are the equivalent of pirates. And people don't understand the magnitude of that. And that, unfortunately, uh, that ball got dropped by our great-great-grandparents when they were supposed to do uh, their due diligence uh, in 1931, in the early 30s. They didn't do it. Uh, that was the Great Depression. They couldn't be bothered. They were busy with trying to survive, never mind politics. And then came the Great War. And uh, after that, life was good. We had a booming economy. So Canadians never got the job done that they were supposed to do in 1931, uh, which was to hold constitutional conventions to decide whether we wanted to remain a united nation of 10 provinces and states or have individual sovereignties. So uh, that was the choice that Canadians were supposed to decide in the early 30s, and they never did. So we have run now for 90 years on this illusion of Canada. Uh, and the the implications of that are staggering. You know, when we look at the Ukrainian war and people uh, screaming, oh, uh, Ukraine is a sovereign nation. No, they're not. They had never been a sovereign nation, and we have no more right to claim that Ukraine is a sovereign nation and uh, Russia has no right to them than we do our own country. So this level of, of our own history and knowledge has been so stolen from Canadians that we it's put us in a precarious situation, and uh, 
until the price we pay again is high enough, we will never start to look to real solutions. So this is why I'm so excited about what everything that is happening across this country now, because these facts will start to come out because they have no choice. When we see provinces moving towards separation, that forces the discussion. Uh, I sat with uh, Derek Sloan last year and spoke to him about this. And he's like, yeah, we know it's a de facto country, which means unlawful, um, but through implied consent, we're doing it anyway. That is how our governmental system operates, through implied consent. So until we take control of our own government, none of this I, I can actually expect to change. So that is in the power of the people. I just literally had Brian Peckford on for the second time. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that, um, you know, is touted as being a signatory for uh, you know, essentially the bill that, but we never talk about what you just said. Why is that? It's, 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 it's an, the only time I've heard it spoken about publicly was when Trudeau uh, mentioned the Quebec problem. Have you ever heard that before? The Quebec problem. When he was uh, signing over more gratuities to Quebec last year, he mentioned it only briefly. That is what is when they when you hear the term the Quebec problem, that's what it what what they're referring to um, is is that until the, those and forgive me I'm not the guy that that remembers the exact you know numbers in the in the in the documents, sure. uh, but that's very clearly laid out on a platform called the Myth is Canada, uh, such an appropriate name for a platform. But he explains it all out there, so if people want. Uh, uh, the documentation, the facts, the evidence, and 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 uh, all of the the legal precedents that that back up what I'm saying, you'll find it all on that platform. Um, but it's an uncomfortable conversation because the, our entire government and society revolves around our government doing what they are doing through implied consent. So um, this is why we will never see uh, um, a political move towards remedy on this because we cannot force our politicians into remedy. Uh, that was established in 1992 in the little child uh, case uh, that if we don't like what our elected representatives are doing our only recourse is to elect somebody else at the next opportunity that is the precedent so since then there has been no no nothing to compel them to fix the actual problems so then how do we fix the actual problems <laughs> the instant we have one province that legitimately moves towards uh, uh, separation and independence, it forces that to happen. Because literally, um, it is the right of every province and territory to go through this process. Uh, it, incidentally, it is the same process that uh, Chile is going through. It is the same process that uh, uh, Iceland went through in, in the early 2010s. Um, seating constitutional conventions. It's the same way America created their constitutional republic, or, or the uh, constitutional republic, uh, and that is what is recognized in that jurisdiction of law, the international jurisdiction of law. So there's so many of these things that keep coming back to bite us. For example, when Trudeau goes and he's campaigning for a, a seat on the UN Security Council, he was never going to get a seat on the UN Security Council for the same reason Harper was never going to get a seat on the. Uh, UN Security Council because you have to be a sovereign nation to hold a seat on the UN Security Council. This is, so this is why Russia sits on the UN Security Council and we don't. 
<laughs> it's just uh, these things, nobody wants to have those discussions because they believe they're not a valid discussion because through implied consent, this is what we're doing anyways. So until that's forced to happen by one province actually going through the process, they'll start that discussion will start to come up. So I am not in favor of separation or independence at all. But I also understand that until people are forced to have that conversation, I don't think in Canada we ever will. Okay. You mentioned Harper and Trudeau in the same sentence. One, if you sit on listening to this conversation, you're going to put a lot of stock on Harper. Now, maybe you've been following along for a long time and you go, that's not quite true, Sean. Fair enough. But I would say you put him on one side and you put Trudeau on the other side. You just mentioned something that I go, so are they really smart and understand that this can never happen? You mentioned uh, on the council, getting a seat. Or are they both really dumb and not understanding the rules? Politics is all about the optics yeah. and public opinion. And this is the difference between what America has in a constitutional republic and what we have in a democracy. In a democracy, democracy is ruled by the mob. So whatever flavor of discontent the mob has is the democracy. So this is why in our Canadian politics, right from the bottom up, you'll always hear this, we're going to wait to see which way the wind blows. That is why. We are ruled by the mob. You um, you make some very interesting points because I've been come from a hockey background, so I always say I'd really love to have Stevie Y as our, you know, I joke, you know, prime minister, whatever, uh, premier, whatever. You get the point. Because here's a guy, and uh, uh, somehow I always bring hockey back into it. But if people re- recall, and maybe you don't, you go back to when he was a GM of of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and Everybody was on him to uh, to trade one of his players, young star, and he just kind of held out and weathered the storm and then made a move that was not only beneficial to Tampa Bay, but you look at what Tampa Bay's done in the past, you know, uh, decade and he's no longer there, but they've won a couple cups and, you know, they've become a powerhouse in the NHL and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, why is it we can't have a politician who does the same thing that doesn't go with the mob at least you know the mob changes on a day-by-day basis almost almost uh why can't you have somebody who stands up there and just no we're not doing that because the individuals that stand up there represent the parties and the parties are what controls the individuals and if you don't toe the party line you end up on the outside and uh, the parties are contractually obligated to do the worst nightmares for Canadians uh, that we could possibly imagine uh, and 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 that is where it comes down to the mob even the individuals are controlled by the mob of their party mm. you know and where we are right now is and and this is what really makes me uh, uh, shake my head um, is, is this political divide you know is imaginary it's it's at this point completely ineffective we literally left wing right wing it's the same sick bird when we look at what we're facing here in Canada right now in 2022 2020 2021 all of these laws and policies uh, that don't make sense to Canadians in any way, shape or form are simply because all of the establishment parties uh, are, are contractually obligated to agreements that have absolutely zero Canadian interest in, uh, uh, at the core of them. None. 
right? So they they sign these international agreements, say that these are non-binding agreements, yet everything that they do in our country to uphold that non-binding agreement, that doesn't go away if they tear up that agreement. They could tear up that UNSDA today, wouldn't change the laws that they've implemented that turn us into a, a totalitarian state, right? So this is why uh, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and I say it doesn't matter because people look at uh, Trudeau and blame him for signing that UNSDA. Well, that's not entirely where all of the blame goes because Stephen Harper and Jason Kenney drafted the UNSDA. So who's going to save us when they're both in on it? Hmm. What do you think then of... What's going on in Alberta right now? We are uh, like just days away from having a new premier. And you got a lady in the front runner who's talking about sovereignty and different things like that. Uh, does that give you, you know, hope? Are you like, it's a charade? What does Wayne see? At, you know, because the other thing is I ran into um, Arter Pulowski. I was doing the event for Canadians for Truth. Uh, geez, what was that like? I don't know, time's warped right now, 10 days ago, whatever it was. And and he's running for uh, the Alberta Independence Party. And I forget their, I can't remember if that's their actual uh, handle or if that's their slogan. Anyways, you get the point. He's going to be running for uh, premier in May, right? And so I, I, what's your thoughts on the entire, you know, look? Because if, if I read the tea leaves of what you're laying down, you go, doesn't matter who's at the head of the UCP, either way, it's bad. And long term it doesn't get us out of the funk we're in uh so i I, i'm very much a pragmatist um i i I will give anybody if they do something good or say something right i don't care which party it is i will give them credit for that and i don't care which party of it it is if it's not in the interest of the people i will call them out for that um i kind of like danielle uh a, a little bit um when she was still being a journalist we covered some you know events together uh i remember uh jason kenny's fair deal panel uh, uh daniel and i were at, at one of those the er, first or second one and and we talked to each other for a minute there we're like comparing notes because uh both of us were kind of going wait a minute there's 150 people in here all of the seats were RSVP'd and 140 of the seats in here are all NDP staffers. Wait a minute. What's going on here? So the only thing the fair deal panel was listening to was a room full of NDP staffers. So we're at these panels and then we're hearing about, Oh, we need uh, workers rights for male sex workers and safe space. And, you know, and this is the kind of garbage that that was being dumped on, on Kenny's fair deal panel. And we never even really did get a result out of, out of all of that. It was just another giant scam. So, I mean, I'll give her credit for calling stuff out where as, as she does. But at the same time, I have questions because she's been kind of a flip flop herself in her political attempts in the past. Right. So um, I, I don't make a, a, a permanent decision on, on, on anybody. Everybody has the, the uh, ability to uh, change their ways. I, I do believe you can, ch- uh, old dogs can learn new tricks. I, I don't just say that because I'm white. Uh, I believe in it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad that, do I think she's going to save Alberta? No. Is she going to bring some important discussions to the table? Yes. 
so that I am all for. Uh, so the whole, the heart of the left wants to 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 discounter uh, Jason Kenney calling us radicals, uh, taking over the ship, uh, whatever. I don't care. Let's have some discussions. You know, put away the labels. Let's have some discussions because at some point the labeling is not going to stop the discussion. So the sooner we get there, the happier I'll be for it. And uh, then Canadians across the board will realize that they can't ignore this in Alberta because if Alberta pushes far enough, what ends up ultimately happening is every national treaty and policy has to be revisited. Doesn't matter if you're in Newfoundland or British Columbia, if Alberta separates, you've got to reestablish all of your policies, international trade policies, finance policies, everything is back on the table. So that's the part that I'm kind of uh, hoping comes out of, uh, out of this uh, <laughs> cacophony in Alberta. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I've been paying. I, I, I don't need to keep saying this, but like for me, politics wasn't on my. I didn't grow up in a political family. Uh, certainly, before I had kids, I cared zero iotas about it. Heck, I lived out of country for um, close to a. Well, not close to it. I was away from home for over a decade, but I would say I lived out of Canada for you know half a decade, that type of thing, and got to experience different parts of the world. But the longer this goes on, the more I start to dial it in like, okay, where's the next great opportunity for things to really change? And I look at uh, the next, whatever it is, eight months roughly in in Alberta, there's going to be some change because uh, even what Daniel's talked about has changed uh, the mob, if you will, what they're thinking about because she's been so open to talking about different things. So you've seen, you know, the, the, the conversation go from, uh, point A to point B very rapidly. And uh, it's really spurred on a whole bunch. But as soon as whoever gets elected, whether it's Danielle or, or um, you know, Todd Lowen or Brian Jean or uh, Travis Taves, I think are the, probably the top four, roughly. Um, whoever gets elected there, in May, we got another election, right? So now you're going to have the big, uh, the, you know, Arthur Pulowski, I, I for a lot of people, especially this and this, they know exactly who he is. And the fact he got elected in there is going to carry some weight because he has a, a lot of name recognition in what he went through in the last two years. And there's a lot of people that hold that in pretty darn high regard. So if you get a UCP and an NDP who are talking something that the people don't want, there could be a big push there. And that's interesting because you just go... So many years go by where there's just nothing interesting happening in any province, or at least it seems that way. And in Alberta, Wayne, it's it's heating up real fast. I mean, geez, like October 6th is coming awfully, awfully quick. And then on top of that, whenever they get in, it ain't far behind where you get it all over again. So it's it's interesting. You're, you're sitting in a different province than me, though. You're sitting out in Manitoba. What's going to happen in Manitoba uh, that maybe the, the audience should know about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh... I, I've only been in Manitoba a little while, and I came here because uh, Manitoba seems to be this giant black hole. What do we ever hear about Manitoba? Anywhere. Nothing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My only experience in all of this last five years uh, of dealing with Canada's problems head on, my only interaction with Manitoba was how fast could I drive across it? You know, and I, I, I'm so I, I'd been invited to do some speaking events uh, last fall out here, and 
so I, I came and and went on kind of a whirlwind tour. And I was like, wait a minute, these people out here are way more lit than what we realize. And re- understanding that Canada is so broad and there are so many cultures and differences and, and every part of this country is very different. Even though we are the same, it is still different. And I realized in, in Manitoba, wait a minute, here's a province where um, – you're not going to see it on Facebook the instant they've made toast. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're just getting stuff done, right? Um, so I, I, I really wanted, I was curious. Uh, uh, and and so that's kind of, I came out here to kind of just uh, embed myself a little bit and, and to get a feel for, uh, you know, how is this happening and what is actually going on in Manitoba? And uh, Manitoba is struggling through the same issues as, as every other province. Uh, the difference is, is that uh, they're, they're, the people here are, are, working together whatever it is that they're working on it's not all about uh you know how many views do they get on for sharing it on facebook they're just they're just interested in in solutions um not making noise uh just getting things done um i've seen a, a huge uh uh grassroots initiative raising here against the indoctrination in the schools i'm seeing school boards and school divisions that are in trouble because people aren't screaming into school divisions they're just taking their kids out and finding alternatives so we're seeing an explosion in home education or or alternative education school boards that are that are are financially um in trouble uh because of these kinds kinds of things they're just taking control of their of their communities again and not talking about it on on facebook so much that's not their their go-to thing they just want results they're not looking for attention they're just looking for results and that is what inspires me about being in manitoba right now is seeing some of these fights happening the uh um i expect to see a wave of new school board trustees in in manitoba uh so that like they probably never experienced in one batch before over the next coming uh period of time i don't know how it's going to play into elections here in manitoba i'm not that uh, plugged in yet but uh, it's inspiring to me to see the communities that have come together and established already alternative sustainability alternative systems methodology uh, a lot of communities out here aren't going to hurt as bad from the things that are coming down the pipe as others will so that's that's what i see in manitoba um i'm typing now um i actually had a listener uh i actually had a listener uh reach out and and that's actually one of the things he asked about was he goes you know you you talk to all these wonderful people that have amazing stories from across the country around the world and and unique perspectives but he goes he gets and i i i'm not putting i'm putting words in his mouth but the way i took the text was uh overwhelmed um at all the different things but he goes what can the lay person do what can what can you do you know how can i battle um you know politicians and what they're doing and saying or you know uh inflation or all these different things that are starting to really impact all over again uh the everyday uh person what would wayne say uh for because i think you have a beautiful insight in being in manitoba everything you just said is like well you just you just stop worrying about maybe some of the things and you start focusing on your community is kind of what uh, I took out of it. But um, what would Wayne say to the person who's trying to do something that can make their life better? 
You know, that I, I, I've answered that question many times over the last few years and it changes my, my response changes to that, but overwhelmingly I would have to, to uh, encourage people to realize that our lives and our future are not in this avatar space, right? Reality happens not online. Um, nobody goes online and tells their whole story. They only share the best of them or what they're thinking or they're feeling. They don't share all their skeletons in their closet. There is nothing online that is real. And too many of us are uh, plugging our social value, our community value, our value to the world on what our social media or our web presence says. And you know what? Um, that is not going to help anybody when things uh, come apart. So the number one thing that I, I would tell people is uh, it's the number also the number one thing the government does not want to happen. And that is for you to plug into the real community, get off the internet, go find people that are doing something that is putting their community first. And I don't mean some specialized community or some uh you know uh ultra uh virtue signaling community or any of those things go get plugged in to the people that make things happen in your community get involved get to know some people because when things get tough who are you going to lean on you can't lean on people on facebook in uh you know zimbabwe to help you uh find a, a can of tuna or a package of toilet paper you know what i mean uh people we have an amazing uh society here in canada that uh uh is is so different offline than it is online so yeah people want to do something find the people in your community that are plugged in uh if you want to know well where do i find those people look for a barter and trade group find one they are out there everywhere because those people they know who is plugged into everybody else. Find a gathering. Find, and I'm not talking, you know, going to a protest or a rally. Uh, find something that uh, uh, you know is a community event and just get plugged in. Start talking to each other again, face to face, rather than you know these things serve a purpose. Talking online, but that's not where we live. Yeah, you um, you brought up a really beautiful point. Uh, Somebody asked me a while back how I survived the last, you know, now it's well over two years. And how I did that was there was a group of men in my community that I talked to almost every single day, especially at my low times. And those were tough times, but I had a support network of people that kind of propped you up. And I did the same for them. And, and you get the point. And I remember a lady out of Calgary asked me that, you know, and it was a question that got asked an awful lot. And uh, she never did respond back, which I hope I didn't, uh, you know, like scare her or something, you know, like, oh, I need a support group. That's the only way I can get through this. But what you just said is it's beautiful because like you got to do the face to face thing, right? Like I hate this. I would love nothing more than to have Wayne sitting in the studio so that we can sit and do this properly because properly is one on one together. Uh, and and the other thing is, is bad times, whether it's, uh, you know, these giant things that are coming down the pipe and i want to get wayne's thoughts on that or just you know i just come back to a farmer i interviewed a long time ago when uh 
if you're talking about just drought, how do you prepare for that? Well, in the good times, you prepare for the bad. And certainly um, the bad is always out there. The bad is always coming. And you don't have to be a, a, a doomsdayer to say that. Like you're going to have bad years. And how do you survive that? By preparing. And certainly what you're talking about is, is do that. Find the group so when things get bad, you have people to lean on and vice versa. And that is how um, you can limp through some of the, the tough years or tough days even. And it's good just for your mental health way. Like just honestly, for your mental health, it's huge. We are not, uh, as a species, we are not wired to be isolated. We are not uh, uh, solo creatures. And everything that uh, has been uh, dumped on us in the last number of years, um, I fully believe is, is, is at war with three of the things that that are, are, are the, the foundation of our society. And um, that is what's being hammered on uh, to the point we are being isolated from being grounded in those three things. And to, to me, uh, this is going to kind of leapfrog a whole uh, long, uh, long ways through the timeline, but uh, to see what happened recently in Italy, um, to me, that's the best news the planet could have gotten. And uh, because, I mean, they can call her Mussolini all of they want. Yeah. She won an overwhelming victory on three principles. God, family, and country. And people are tired of this globalist, eco-terrorist insanity and that takes us farther and farther and farther from those things that keep us functioning as solid people, uh, you know, creatures, whatever you species, whatever you want to call it, we need certain things in order for us to thrive and be healthy. And that's pretty much covered the foundation of it under those, those three things. So everything that they are doing to us, all of these wedge subjects, these wedge topics are only created to intervene in those three things. Yeah. I've been saying for a long time, the, uh, you have to protect your family, certainly yourself first, because if you're, you know, you're no good, you're no good to anyone. Right. And the family, the family unit, and then the family unit helps make up the community and communities are, you know, and what's happening right now is it's, I mean, it's seeped its way all the way in from the individual marriages, families, everything. Everyone has been infighting about everything. And what does that do? That makes communities not come together, makes them pull apart. And I always love telling the story of rats. I never thought I'd be a guy who talks about rats more than I do now, but I've heard so many great studies on them now. Um, you know, how do you get a rat addicted to cocaine? Well, it isn't putting a stack of cocaine in with a group of rats. They won't do it. They're, they're community orientated, uh, animals. And so if you put a, a thing of cocaine in with a group of rats, nobody will touch it. Now, if you put a rat in solitary confinement by himself, what happens? They're addicted to cocaine. It's like, well, we can kind of see what's happening in society then when we all, you know, are terrified to even and i live in a part of the country wayne where certainly that thought process went on for about two months and certainly for two years for a lot of people that was the way it was prayed but there was a lot of good people in my area i live in redneck alberta slash saskatchewan right i've never been more proud of that um but for a lot of people who live in big centers they had no idea what was going on in different parts of this country uh and then you go back to the rat study and you're like well you know, what's going to happen when you do two years of solitary confinement on people? It ain't good. It no. really ain't good. 
You know, uh, Omar Cotter got uh, $10.5 million for a couple of months of solitary confinement. What do you think they owe us? <laughs> You know, millions, millions. Know, just to make have- a, a mockery a, 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 out of it uh but you know it's 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 one of those things and, and i i feel it's important to highlight this um i say that these principles you know god family and country are the foundation of our society i don't say that because I want to create an argument over religion. What I want people to understand is it doesn't matter what my individual faith is. We live in a society that is governed by the recognition of God. And if you want to live in a society that is recognizes the opposite of God, there's places on earth where you can do that too. And you'll find that society is not nearly so kind and civil in those places in the world. So, And, and the reason why this is so important is because it doesn't matter. We live in a society that says it doesn't matter whether we believe in God or not. But what it does do is it alienates us from the understanding that the people that oppose us, they don't believe in God either, but they absolutely believe in their God, their evil, whether it's bald, Satan, whatever you want to call them, the people, the cult that are against us, intending to silence us, to exterminate us, whatever you want to call it, they don't care what we believe in. I don't care what you believe in, Sean. You shouldn't care what I believe in. But we should both care that they believe in a supreme evil, and that is what we need to focus on. So when I speak about God, it doesn't matter right? Uh, what you think of me for that. I, I am not a religious person. I have been a, a horrible sinner mo- a large part of my life. I probably don't deserve to get into heaven. Those are all of my own personal thoughts on that. That is my relationship. I am a stubborn child of God. He's got to hit me with a really big stick before I figure things out. But I also understand the difference between right and wrong and doing something uh, out of spite because uh, somebody's a Christian, that gets us nowhere, right? So when I talk about God, it's why I want to talk about that is to open up the conversation so that people realize it doesn't matter what we as individuals believe, but we sure darn skippy need to understand that the enemy 100% believes in what they are doing and they will sacrifice everything for what they believe in while we are busy squabbling about what each other believes in. Well, I think uh, it doesn't surprise me God comes up. I've been saying, I don't know how long I've been, I've just noticed this for probably since, honestly, since Ottawa um, of this year, in that there's been a huge resurgence. I'm not saying that it wasn't there before, but I would say up until Ottawa, God was almost a taboo topic, you know? Oh, I that's I the Canadian to... culture. There was two things you didn't talk about in Canada. If you were at a family event, it was politics and politics. Yeah, right? isn't that the truth? Off limits. And I would say, Wayne, it is coming up over and over and over and over again. That it's like, you know what? Let's just let's just get to get to the brass tacks, right? Like, uh, this is an important topic. You label you put it out beautifully. You don't have to believe in what I believe, but we can all believe that uh, the big guy upstairs, whatever that is for you, and the right and the wrong, and let's move on and realize that this is an important part of our culture, and let's carry on. And it has come up, interview after interview after interview, and that to me and, and people that I'd never think would bring it up to me are bringing it up. It's like okay, 
we can either acknowledge that or, 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 you know, stick our head in the sand. But the truth of the matter is that's what's going on. And so that gives me, honestly, a, a lot of, a ton of hope because there's a ton of people that, that see it. Uh, you don't have to be doing podcasts every day to, to see it as well. Like in society, it's becoming talked about more and more and more. And uh, I think that's a really beautiful thing because, you know, up until this point, I didn't think it really mattered. <laughs> I was one of them saying, oh, whatever, you know, just, you know. and now I'm like, mm, nope, there's some importance there that uh, has to be identified. And, and so we can all get on the right, you know, the right track and move forward with, oh, you don't know, no, fire no, away, away. Well, I was, I was going to, I was going to say the Italy, um, the lady, she had this wonderful speech. What have you thought about all the videos coming out, talking about, be careful of her. Um, because it was only months before she was talking about the green pass and all these different things. Uh, what's your thoughts on all that? I, you know, I, I, I think that we are seeing people uh, not just awakening at, at the grassroots level, but uh, all across the spectrum. Um, and and uh, again, I don't know that she's the savior for Italy, but she's having the right conversations. Um, the sooner we put humanity as our priority instead of uh, uh, equality and ESG garbage, uh, the sooner we'll come back to a place that people recognize um, as you know living again. Um, but to to go back to that you know the the subject of religion a little bit sure, there. Yeah, people uh, we talk about the evil, the evil, the evil, the evil, the evil. Well, evil is a uh, a biblical discussion you're talking about religion and faith when you're talking about evil so we cannot have a discussion with a, with a, about evil without acknowledging that god too exists if if evil exists and god exists whether you choose to agree with it or not you know but this is where pe how, how people get so lost in it i put up a post the other day uh just because it resonated with me not that i was intending for anybody to agree with me but i i it was uh something along the lines of kids don't need uh, uh pedo time story hours kids need parents reading their bible to them instead well i got so much abuse uh because i suggested that parents should read their bible to kids nobody was upset uh that that was my suggestion as an alternative to uh drag queen story time hour for their kids that didn't upset them that that didn't upset them. They were upset that I suggested that parents read the Bible to, or the post that I shared uh, suggested that instead. And I'm thinking to myself, fixation about the most insane, redundant points. I mean, goldfish get have a better chance of understanding that point of that message than some people. I think probably. Uh, honestly, when you when you say it, I I go back to um, Alexandra Kitty, uh, a lady who's been on the show multiple times. Uh, she's talked openly about um, the different tactics of propaganda and how a ton of uh, online, you know, hatred put towards you. It's probably bought and paid for, and uh, or, or you know, in whatever form. And I just go, I, I hear that. And I'm like, uh, you're on somebody's list, Wayne. And that doesn't, shouldn't surprise either of us. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, you put out the post and I, I go, there's probably so many people that read that. I went, yeah, absolutely agree. And just moved on and don't have the time to even put that because 
for so many of us, we're not, you know, we're not that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's certain platforms where people go there to do exactly that. Uh, but I wonder, you know, I go back to Alexander Kitty all the time. I wonder how many times somebody who's interacting with you and hates what you have to say is being paid to do it or is a bot or whatever. And you're not even acting with somebody who who's thinking for themselves. That, that's my own thought on it. Um, I want to go back to the, to the evil thing though. I was wondering, has Wayne experienced true evil before or evil? I was, and the reason I bring it up is, or God or, or the opposite side, either side. I was bringing up with Paul Brandt. Paul Brandt was just back on the podcast here uh, this week. And I asked him, I think I asked him about uh, evil. Because, uh, you know, you, you said it first, you know, it's like, ah, evil, but you're kind of like, what is that? You know, like, what is it? And certainly, um, I've, I've had the experience where I go back to the, the two, uh, wolves in you. Yeah. Every person has good and bad. It's, it all depends which one you feed more. And I heard that, uh, and I was like, yeah, that, that to me makes like bang on sense. And saying that, Paul Brandt talked about traveling the world and experiencing the worst of humanity, essentially. He's he's been privy to some of the just like earth-shattering things. You know, he's got his um, Not In My City Foundation where they try and stop uh, human trafficking, right? Kids and and just, I don't need to go too deep into it, but you get the idea. Has Wayne experienced, um, you know, you, you talk about going and finding yourself. You, you talk about... Uh, you know, starting to cover these different things. Have you experienced the good or the bad or both? Um, I, 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 I would have to say, and it's a great question. And that's one I've never heard before. Um, I, I, I would have to say at this point, I've been in, I've been in the presence of great evil and um, where every fiber of my body knew that it was the wrong place to be. Uh, uh, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I've never been the victim. I don't believe of uh, pure evil. I've been the victim of evil acts, as we all have. Um, but at this point, I, I, I can't. Other than it being Trudeau in Trudeau's presence, uh, um, I that's as close to the presence of pure evil that I've ever been in, and that is was such an uncanny feeling. Uh, but incidentally, I don't go to any of those anymore because the instant they see me coming, there's two goons that make sure that I can't see or do anything the entire time I'm there. So yeah, I'm on lists. I'm on all kinds of lists. <laughs> when you talk, when you talk about uh, being in the presence of pure evil, you mind explaining that uh, to the audience? Uh, maybe, and the reason I do is maybe somebody has has felt that. Maybe nobody's ever experienced that before. Evil um, pretty much has one tool and that is deception and um you can and and i i don't know why or how but uh um i've had my own divine intervention so i would say that i've been in the presence of the lord more than uh, uh been exposed to pure evil and maybe that's why i haven't uh, had you know been able to or, or had the unfortunate experience of uh, becoming victimized by it or anything, but um, there, you know, there's been different points in my life. I mean, I, I was always on the edge of of doing things and going places, and 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 uh, um, you know, but being 
nothing I can really articulate, but uh, as far as for the evil side of it, other, you know, or, or that I couldn't articulate without exposing somebody to attention that they didn't deserve or like. Um, I've seen people that have been possessed. Um, I don't know if that qualifies. I've seen people that have physically changed and literally levitated. Um, I've seen that. That ain't cool. Um, but um, for me, I, I never got hung up on, on any of that. Did you go, did you go looking for that? Well, the, no. The, no. That and just I, presented itself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was talking about things that uh, um, were so far ahead of where the world was at. Um, I'm sure that I was targeted um, and threatened uh, um, in that moment. Um, but at the same time, and this is going to sound so hokey and weird. And I, this is a story I don't think I've ever told on air before either, because it does sound so hokey and weird. But when that event happened, I, I could literally just feel myself. It was so surreal. I felt like I got three foot feet taller and I just said, no. And it was over. It was just, it was literally over. And, and um, that was a real shocking experience to me. Um, I thought that I was in a safe place at that time. Um, I did not stay in that place. We'll say that. Um, but uh, that was that was as close, I, I, I think, as to being assaulted uh, by by it uh, or being under threat by by pure evil. And it wasn't the it wasn't the person, uh, right? I, I mean, that person uh, that this manifested through was absolutely harmless. The most absolutely harmless person that you could ever imagine, you know, like like literally the equivalent of a, a, a little old lady coming up and turning into a demon in your face. How do you say that 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 that's not a willed event, right? That doesn't come from that person's conscious thought, uh, and and so that was uh, probably for me my own my my most extreme actual experience with dealing with anything paranormal or supernatural or whatever descriptive you want to use with that other than my own uh, uh incident where i uh literally ended up at the university of alberta icu and the doctor telling me i had less than a 0.01 percent chance of ever walking out of there alive again and i had absolutely 100 confidence that i was walking out of there in a few days and four days later i walked out when was that? Uh, that would be going back uh, six years ago, seven years ago, 2014. That was 2014 was when that was. Um, I had had a blood clot in my leg, had gone to my lungs, collapsed my lungs, and they called it massive multiple saddle embolisms. And when I got to the U of A, uh, the doctor comes in and he says, we don't know what to do with you. Nobody's ever survived. <laughs> so uh, they uh, had a good discussion with me and, and uh, it was interesting because I remember it so vividly, uh, but yet uh, I don't remember names or, or any of the doctor. I do know that the doctor had just come back from Kandahar and, and um, he was the surgeon general there. Uh, he was the head of the ICU staff at U of A. And he explained that uh, they had, they thought that this one drug might save my life. And as soon as he said that, I kind of stuck my arm out at him. 
And he says, well, wait a minute, I got to tell you about this. You know, I have to inform you about this. And I said, look, dog, you told me that I arrived here with a 0.01% chance of getting out of here alive, but this drug might give me a 5% chance of getting out of here alive. The odds are in my favor. Get on with it. You're wasting time. That was my response to him. <laughs> so, um, and, and that was a, a life altering moment for me. And, and, and then, uh, after that convoy in 2019, uh, I think I had hit about the low point of my spiritual or emotional point in life. And I had given up, uh, as I think I said earlier, you know, I was headed for a warm place. I'd live under a bridge as so long as I'd die old and poor and warm. That was kind of where I was at. And, uh, I, I was, I don't want to say forced, but uh, pushed incredibly hard to go and cover that first convoy because uh, nobody was really covering it as from a journalist perspective. I wasn't officially in a, a journalist at that time. I didn't have my platform. Um, I wanted no part of it. Um, but people call, kept calling and calling and calling until uh, the, the bus was leaving at nine and then people were calling me until two 30 in the morning. And finally I relented and I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go. But I came back from that and my life was altered. And I had a, a, a couple of weeks of a real uh, coming to Jesus time where I was trying to figure out what my actual purpose was on this earth, because everything had been shattered. Uh, my entire, I mean, I had a, physical understanding of the lies and the deception by our government and all of these different things uh, along the way but uh it was the it was the interacting with the people that changed me when i realized that it doesn't matter what part of the country you go to there is suffering and every last bit of that suffering is due to the corruption and greed of our establishment and our government every last bit of suffering in canada is intentional it is premeditated and it is created to keep us divided and controlled and it doesn't matter what part of the country you go to if there is suffering it is intentional and is at the hands of our establishment that came to me so hard so unbelievably hard after that uh event that uh i couldn't I knew I couldn't move forward with life as I knew it. I shut down my uh, marketing and advertising agency, fired my clients and launched What's Up Canada. It's a hard thing to, uh, I call it the mind fuck myself. Um, certainly I I didn't pay attention in 2019. I remember the convoy you're talking about, but once again, you said it bang on. I didn't see a thing about it. So why pay, you know, you get the point. But I went in this year and, uh, you can't unsee some of the things from that event. I got to, we caught the convoy in, in uh, Ontario, in Dryden, Ontario. And the days that followed from there until I came home, there's just things in there that you can't unsee. Exactly. And the fact that uh, corporate media didn't, uh, you know, didn't cover any of it is wild. Like it's, it's like, and what they did was uh, only to call, call people Nazis or, or, uh, right. uh, fringe minorities with unacceptable views it must be dealt with right that's the only thing that, that whereas if you yeah. would have just you know when you talk about going and experiencing something and actually seeing it firsthand it's uh you know that becomes a very common theme with a bunch of people that are doing just as as we are 
um, or have left their their whatever job to you know, explore something new, is that's a common theme. They went and experienced it, saw it firsthand, and went, oh. And then there's a time period where you got to chew on that because it's not an easy experience to have. It's like, no. well, 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 now what do I do? Right? Like that just shattered a bunch of the preconceptions I had. And, and that's, a, that's a tough pill to swallow. It really was. Uh, and for me particularly, uh, what, what got in my own way was my own head because I'd grown up with such a hatred for Quebec in the East. Uh, typical Albertan. Yeah, for 30 years, that was pretty much uh, every Albertan's opinion of the East. And then I realized that they suffer too, just differently. And they didn't ask for this situation that makes pits us against each other. They didn't ask for that. We didn't ask for it. And what I guess the, the, the part that got me so much was the emotional roller coaster of that first event. Uh, there was a small group, there was only 300 people, and there was no media coverage until Maxime Bernier got there. And uh, by the time we got to Ottawa, this had started to get loud. So they called out the uh, media assassins to take up Bernier and, and all of that. Uh, the whole Warren Kinsella hired uh, assass character assassination, not endorsing Bernier, but I saw it happening, right? But all of that was, was kind of interesting. But to the people that were taking part, there was nobody uh, that anybody would have ever heard of before involved in that convoy at that time. And uh, there was so there was 300 people that left Alberta with only the intent to go to Ottawa and tell them the what for. And then it got politi politically hijacked and all of those things. But it didn't change how the people felt that took part. We knew that it had been politically hijacked, all of those things. But the, the connection with the people, the emotional roller coaster, it was pretty quiet rolling across Alberta, Saskatchewan. There started to be people out cheering us on. By the time we got to Manitoba, it was like, uh, uh, you know, everywhere there was people, little groups uh, gathered together at every community. Well, by the time we started getting through uh, southern Ontario, there wasn't a roadside turnout. There wasn't a parking lot. Uh, there was you it wasn't an intersection anywhere along the way that didn't have thousands of people. And uh, we would stop and talk to these people and they would just come up and sobbing and hug you. And you'd never laid eyes on them before. And you'd talk to them. And some of them had driven five or six hours, stood outside for three or four hours in 40 below weather, uh, just to see us roll by for two minutes, you know, whether we stopped or not, they were doing that. And we rolled into Mississauga. I think it was uh, not Mississauga. Uh, I don't remember even uh, Thunder might've been Thunder Bay, but there was so many of them. It was just such a blur, but there was 1030 at night. There's 5,000 people in the parking lot, 40 below. They got 25 barbecues, 50 tables full of food. And they'd been waiting for four or five hours, you know, for us to arrive. It was just so powerful uh, seeing. And that was the Canada that I held in my heart. And it didn't matter where they come from or who they were. We were there uh, because of the same 
uh, you know, a sense of, of needing community. We needed to find who is Canadian. What do we stand for? We've been told that Canadians have no core identity. Well, Mr. Trudeau, you can go and pound sand because I think Canadians are finding in it again. And it has a lot more in line with uh, what the new prime minister of, of uh, Italy is saying than anything Trudeau's ever said. So that was really, really powerful. And everybody that came back from that first event was absolutely uh, life altered. Uh, they could knew they could never get put back in that same box. So I was in the same situation. I had to reconcile uh, uh, 30 or 40 years of, of despising the East and all of that. Uh, I had to really process and figure that out. And I realized that I could never fit back in that box again that I, that I had come from bef- 10 days before. You know, it's almost not shocking, but every time I hear that somebody had an experience before COVID, you know, that really opened their eyes, I'm like, man, like how difficult, (laughs) you know, it must be to have an experience like that, to witness stuff. And then, you know, take Sean Newman, for example, Sean, you couldn't have been bothered with half of what you're talking about back then. I just couldn't. And then now it's like, yeah, I get I get harassed all the time. Can we talk some sports? I'm like, yeah, we can. Like, I'd love nothing more. Love of God. I'd love nothing more than to talk about the Oilers starting up the season and, and banter about everything else. And I just go, but right now I'm doing five shows a week, Wayne. And I can't keep, and I, at times I feel like I'm doing it disservice. Like, how insane is that? Like, it's insane. It just, I can't get any other word in. I'm like, I don't know how to keep up with what's going on and trying to talk about things that actually freaking matter at this point. And I love my Oilers. I love the hockey. I love I love sports. And Daryl Sutter said it best. Three things bring people together. And I, I think this is, when he said it, I was like, man, that's that's bang on. He said music, uh, sports, and church. Uh, he was talking religion. Those three things bring, bring people together. So you got to remember there's a time and place and you certainly have those things to bring communities together. And yet I go at the same token, when you're in the middle of something, you got to find ways to get uh, people such as yourself and, and a whole plethora of guests on to have a, a platform so they can have their, their say and let people know what they're thinking about, talking about, seeing, so people know. Yeah, I, I can relate more than you know, Sean. I used to be, uh, hockey was my life. I lived for hockey. I never missed a game. I could tell you the uh, top five point leaders on every uh, junior team. Uh, I could tell you who was going to go where because uh, now it just didn't fit. I knew, I knew, I mean, I lived hockey. Grew up in nor- Northern Alberta where, you know, nine months of winter and three months of bad sledding. We lived hockey and that was unfortunately for me a hundred percent ruined when i went to the toronto raptors victory parade in toronto with three million people people getting shot 50 yards away nobody cared they were only there to see this little trophy go by on the top of a bus that nobody was ever going to get to and i was so disgusted by by that I, I you know i i'd seen I, I i was so emotionally uh unbalanced at that point feeling like uh, uh in a panic mode for my country and my people and nobody gave a shit but they'd come out for a trophy you know and, and i i think that there's something to be said about that what you what 
you you just quoted there about sports uh, in 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 uh, church and and uh, you know coming together, um, but that has been co-opted and pirated and stolen as well uh, by the elite echelons of sports. That community is not there anymore. Um, in that you know that they are in their own universe uh they are unaccessible for the most part they uh they talk like drones and robots uh, it's the exact same quote uh, doesn't matter who skates up uh to to give a quote uh it's it's all the same looping rhetoric and narrative they don't dare say anything uh when was the last time any one of these hockey players sounded like the, uh, any different than the next one Sean Avery, maybe. (laughs) And I never thought I would. I I actually have been trying to get Sean Avery on. That might surprise listeners because I hated the way he played hockey. (laughs) So did I, but he was himself. (laughs) He was himself. And uh, it's funny, the people that uh, you find on your side where I sit, Avery was one of the guys who, you know, he's always been outspoken. I I don't think that's what shocked me. What shocked me was he gave Byron Bridal a voice. I went, Sean freaking Avery, like really? And then you, you kind of listen to some of the stuff he's done. And you're like, huh? I did not see that coming from a million miles away. Like that, 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 that blew me away. Um, because there's a guy in all the hockey guys I'd ever want to put on a on a on my show. Sean Avery would not be it. And if I do get him, I will probably tell him that. And I don't think he'll take offense to it. He'll probably laugh at me and go, "I didn't fucking want to come talk to you either." I'm like, oh, fair enough, right? Like, the last thing I wanted to do was talk to a pro-vaccine uh, guy that creates vaccines. Uh, people are like, are you freaking mental? You need to stop this. And I'm like, well, when I started to think about it, the only way we stop it is if the guys that are that are pro this and uh, are the creators of this, they tell people no. So then I made it. I, I started going out of my way to try and get these pro-vaccine doctors and scientists and specialists because they were the ones with the loudest voices saying no right and that was such a uh uh to me it was refreshing because we don't get that um anywhere we don't get it in politics we don't get it in business we certainly don't get it in sports any flavor of sports uh uh what the baseball player that refused to come to canada i mean they crucified him because why because he didn't want to disclose his medical information and get a job why is this now all of a sudden the cardinal's sin right i i mean it's just so absurd how uh people are being compressed um and and uh for me uh, i i mean i grew up you know, idolizing Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, uh, you know, I, 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 what kid in our age group didn't spend, you know, every minute they could outside with a hockey stick on the street and a ball pretending they were Wayne Gretzky or Mark Messier, right? You'd get into more fights over who could be Wayne Gretzky uh, today and you had to take turns being, you know, like, I mean, these are the people we idolize now. And now these people, they won't say jack shit if their mouth is full of it. And that I take offense to. Yeah, it's, um, but that's, you know, that's, that's the people you admire right now, or at least from where I sit, it's people at everything, you know, I, I, I say this all the time to like a guy like Eric Payne at a Calgary, right? He had everything to lose. Corporal Daniel Bulford had everything to lose. These aren't guys in their eighties. These are young men that are just a little older than me, got young families to worry about. And by sticking their head up, they're losing everything. And I, you know, it's it's a weird position for me to sit in 
because by sticking my head up, I got what I wanted. And I, you know, at the time I didn't fully understand that, but I'm doing this full time now. And somebody asked me the other day, well, how's podcasting going? I'm like, kidding me? I, I'm hoping I'm doing it justice because I literally get to have different people on from different walks of life to have conversations all through the week. It's what I love to do. And by sticking my head up, I had to take some, there was a couple of rough months there for sure. But overall, the end up the, the end of the course so far, and I have no idea where this is heading. Some days I'm just, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of joke that I'm on a bullet train and I, I just like, I'm just holding on for dear life. Right. I don't, I don't know where the next interview is going to take me. Um, some days I feel like it's a little more controlled than that, but at the end of the day, by doing what I did, Ashley pulled me out of working full-time to focus on this full-time. And there's a lot of young guys that, uh, stood their ground that I admire fully that are in tough spots right now. Um, just because of, literally just because of that, right. They've trained all their life to become a doctor, a professor, whatever the, you know, the, the course of action is. And now they, you know, they're, they're still in the shit storm, so to speak. And I look at that and I go, man, what balls they have or what courage or whatever word you want to use? Because my own experience isn't quite the same as everyone else. Uh, very much so, you know, and, and, uh, one thing I realized early on was, uh, um, that a person wasn't going to get away with doing this halfway. Um, and, mm. and I've, I've, uh, spoken with people that, you know, before they were, you know, when they were talking to me about entering politics, this, that, or the other thing. And, uh, for me, I realized that if I was going to do this, I was going to be unemployable and um, I am, I am 100% unemployable. If anybody future employee wants employer wants to hire me for a job and goes and looks at my social media, there ain't a job on this planet that I'm going to get. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so embracing that uh, was, was one of the things that I decided that I had to do. Um, that was early on after launching my platform and I was realizing like, wait a minute, but how could I ask others to do anything that I was unwilling to do that just, um, my years in fire and rescue, uh, I was always first man in last man out. I could never ask anybody to do something I was unwilling to do. So that meant I had to make a conscious decision. Um, am I going to do this? Because if I'm going to do it, I have to do it all the way. And if not me, then who? And, uh, that was when I basically fired the last of my clients and, uh, embraced what's up Canada. Burn the boats. It was going to be right. Burn, burn the boats. Yeah. You landed and, and took no exit strategy there. The, it was push on forward. Uh, like hiding the dragon's tail. You don't know where you're going, but you hold on and you just keep doing. I hate to, uh, rewind the conversation a little bit, but it's stuck in my, in my, my brain. And if I don't ask, I'll, I'll, after we get off, I'll be like, I should have just asked, you know, one of the the threads I had before I went down all these different uh, interviews with all these different guests was um, I called it the universe. You know, I had my own, uh, I, I'm going to steal your word uh, words and say divine intervention of like, and it doesn't have to be so grand. I talk, you know, I go back to Brian Burke. He had a snowstorm that led him to hockey. And I mean, geez, if you follow hockey, you're like, really? Like, 
Yeah. And it's an interesting, I'm like, oh, what is that? You know, nobody knows what that is. Although now I think we're all starting to understand what that is. Uh, Glenn Sather, when I interviewed him, talked about finding his wife on a overpass or pulled over on the side of the road in New York, pulled over and helped her, you know, and then, you know, the rest is history. I'm like, what is that? Right. What's Wayne Peters divine intervention or, you know, life changing moment. There, there's, there's been a few and, and quite honestly, uh, this again going to sound a little bit strange, but since I kind of, uh, after that convoy, I went through that 30 days or so of just complete turmoil. I couldn't literally couldn't put together two sentences that made sense in my own brain, let alone anything else. And I got a call from a lady that I didn't know. And I don't remember the conversation, but it was at the end of that conversation. I knew what I had to do, regardless of uh, uh, what the consequences were going to be. And honestly, Sean, every step of the way since then in the last four years has been a, just a, a steady process of inter divine interventions and embracing those things that that unknown. And here's the thing. People fear what they don't understand. And that's human nature. But if we don't embrace that at times, we may miss out on the most amazing things in our lifetime, which is what I've experienced. Uh, it's because the, the, the last four years have led to some of the most amazing moments in my life. And we never know that by doing what we're going to do, what's going to come of that and how much further down the road that's going to uh, take that intervention, that energy, whatever the case might be. And perfect case in point of that, as I mentioned earlier, where the first, uh, the beginning of the Canadian COVID care Alliance, all they had for content was the interviews on my show. I don't know if people out there fully understand what that has then evolved into. A lot of those doctors went on to become the, uh, the foundation for the World Council for Health, which is literally taking on the World Health Organization head on every step of the way. None of that would have happened. You know, I'm not saying any of those organizations wouldn't have come, but that little choice that I made to do the hard things, no matter how, what the price was going to pay, led me to doctor, eventually interviewing Dr. Byron Bridal. It eventually led me to making a whole lot of those people insta-famous because they had the guts to talk about things, which then led to those people forming the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, which then led to the World Council for Health, taking on the most evil entity on the planet. I don't know what percentage of a role my platform played in that. But had I not, had I stepped away from and, and embraced the fear, or, you know, had, had been scared away by the fear instead of embracing it, I don't know if we'd be, if I know certainly I wouldn't be in the same situation. And I can't help but wonder how many other people, you know, may not have been gotten the inspiration that they needed, uh, you know, in, in, in the time and place. And we'll never know uh, how many people we've impacted. So, very powerful thought you just had there about embrace you know i think about me as a podcaster what am i fearful of and what's holding me back me and paul brandt talked about it afterwards right um almost the similar thing and it's almost funny that it, it keeps coming up and i'm like huh guys got to ponder on that because uh what you just said there you know about um basically you don't know what uh uh, what's the opposite word of repercussion? Because it's not repercussion. It's it's like 
Yeah, just like you talk about something and you don't realize you're shifting and then oop, that person goes to do that and and it just has this lovely, you know, butterfly effect or or what have you. And by talking about something as difficult as you did, opened up the door for I know I'll I'll take a um I certainly was looking at that time. And so um I'll be a consequence of 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 you having the the gumption to, to have some of those conversations allowed me to listen to it and decide whether I liked it. And then, you know, just take a look at my platform, uh, Wayne. It was it was like a, almost 100 straight episodes where I focused on, I never do this, where all I did was COVID. We're going to talk about COVID. If you don't like it, it don't matter. I don't care because I need to understand this. So one of the repercussions or one of the great consequences, I, I don't know, put it wherever you want. That's what happened to me because of uh, people like yourself. And by Digging into something that uh, people fear what they don't understand. Jeez, all I can think of is Batman. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just see Fal- uh, Carmine Falcone going. You know, people. Oh, anyways, that's funny. Know. My my nickname in the beginning of all of this was Batman because I worked behind the scenes for every group and platform that was out there doing their content, <laughs> their graphics, their videos, all of those things. But I was hiding under the alias of. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 not Batman. I had a Batman profile picture, yeah. but it was uh, uh, yeah, some play on on uh, Wayne something or another kind of thing because I was afraid of the repercussions because yeah. I was doing all of this content for people and I was paying the price for it. And then finally, I realized that all they were going to do is continue to take down my pages and profiles. And after about eight different fake profiles, I was like, F it. I'm going to own it and uh, I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, is that way I won't uh, make anybody else pay the price for my content that I'm creating. And uh, if they want to come for me, they can come for me. Is, and, is, uh, so. is Wayne fearful to talk about any subject? Is there anything that you're like, or no. have you gotten over that? No, there's, there's nothing that is, that is uh, off limits for me other than I will not endanger anybody. That is my only, uh, my only thing I will uh, protect the people uh, to my last breath, those that need protection. And uh, um, other than that, there is no subject that's off the table for me. Mm. Well, I, I, uh, I hope I can channel that as we, cause I, I'm still uh, not a nervous Nancy. I shouldn't say that, you know, I just, when I don't understand something, I wish I could spend as long as I did on COVID on a subject. And maybe that's, uh, I always talk about the iterations of the podcast because in the beginning it was, it was hockey and then it just kind of slowly evolved and it continues to evolve. And some days I think I have complete control of it. And other days I think I have zero control of it, you know? And, uh, uh, but I still, you know, there are certain topics that, uh, really bother me to talk about, you know, it's, it's, um, but that's once again, it's it's that feeling. I think most people can get. What I'm trying to spit out right, like it's fear, it's an uncomfortableness of uh, the arrows that are for sure going to come flying back at me uh, by opening up different things. And yet, it's what everybody wants. They just they just want to have an open discussion on any topic to hear about it, so that they can decide for themselves one way or another. I don't know if it's so much that they want to to hear it so that they can decide for themselves. I think they want to hear it so that they can find a way to articulate and express oh, what yeah. they are thinking and feeling. 
and uh, that I see an awful lot. Uh, people tell me sometimes, you know, my superpower is being able to regurgitate and digest it so uh, people can understand it, the concepts and principles. And I, I think the biggest thing to embrace is, is to not be afraid to say you just don't know. In our position, we're expected to know. And uh, early on, I, I found myself scrambling if I didn't know uh, and creating anxiety by that instead of just flat out saying, no, I don't know, not my subject matter, you know, uh, or, you know, and at this point here now, uh, most, and, and this is something else too, is is through, I mean, I've done decades of 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 uh personal growth training understanding to, to uh, that kind of stuff i'd worked with uh uh in the media space pr for uh palm springs therapists and uh concierges in new york and all of those things you know these hoity-toity things so uh, learning to find different ways to express myself definitely helped but uh, understanding that through that process, understanding that it doesn't really matter where you go and it doesn't really matter when it could be today. It could be 300 years ago. Almost all of us have the same top 10 list of fears and wants slightly different order, perhaps, but most of us all have the same top 10 concerns. So when we can learn how to figure out what the primaries are in there and have uh, uh, find the information that matters to people, it really helps us get more and more fluid at articulating uh, things to, to people in ways that takes their fear away more than anything. They don't need to necessarily uh, understand the whole principle of it, but it's that human nature thing, right? And it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the biggest, toughest, badass in the, that there is. You hear a bang in the middle of the night, you bolt up, right? That's fear. That's fear until you understand and can lo and, and create the logic to understand what where the noise came from. That is our first instinct. That is fear. And we've all got it. Every last one of us, how we address it is what makes a difference between whether we can move forward or not. And when we're in position like like, like we're in here, and I, I can't speak for you, but I can only speak for myself. My inbox some days is full of the most horrific uh, misery that there is. And um, there's sometimes there, there's no way that we can, um, can, can give them an answer but we can give them something that makes sense when we understand what people's biggest priorities are, what their biggest fears are, what their biggest concerns are. And that's kind of a, a, not the, not the, not our responsibility, but that's the role that we've kind of evolved into because those traditional places where people used to get answers from to alle alleviate the fears are gone. There's nobody to trust out there, not in the government at any level, uh, uh, not in the media space, news space, the, even the entertainment space. There's, there's very, where, where can you consistently go to get people that can explain something to you um, from a level that maintains a modicum of humanity? And it's, that's, that's ultimately what's the only thing that's going to save us is remembering our humanity. We become more and more digitized. Uh, well, that's a whole other subject. 
Well, as we, you know, I could keep you here all day, uh, Wayne. It's been, um, well, I always, you know, uh, I'm going to have different things to kind of chew on for, for a couple of days, as I always do with these. But I wonder, what does Wayne see coming down the pipe that people, and I, this might spur on an hour's worth of conversation, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just wondering, what's Wayne paying attention to? What does Wayne see coming down the, the pipe as we, you know, Supposedly, I, I we're going to have a dark, cold winter, and I go, I, I don't know if it can be any worse than last year. I, I say that, and then I go, it can always be worse, Sean, so careful what you say. But, um, you know, what's Wayne paying attention to here uh, as, uh, you know, we march closer and closer to winter? I mean, geez, we only got to look across the pond and see uh, Nord Stream 1 and 2 and all that's going on there with... Russia, NATO, US, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if you're, you know, into that realm or if it's something closer to home. What's what's uh Wayne got his eyes on? Um so before just before uh closing everything and and taking a 90 degree life's turn, I was heavily involved in uh elite level combat sports. I was managing UFC fighters, uh WBC uh uh fighters. I managed a guy who is seven-time world Muay Thai champion. I was internationally connected a lot. Um and so that kind of uh had already opened a lot of doors for me before uh doing a complete life-changing course um <laughs> exiting all of that i have nothing to do with any kind of sports whatsoever in any capacity anymore but there's still people that i know and uh so that opened doors for me uh, i had gone to europe i explained that earlier and uh that opened more doors for me uh and through the work that i've done i've created you know, friends and, and as colleagues across the, the, the planet. Um, I'm very in tune with what's going on over in Russia, in Ukraine and Europe and geopolitically as a whole for that matter. Um, and, and one of the things that I tell people, a couple things that I tell people all the time, if you think we've hit peak crazy yet, not even close. We have not even come close to peak insanity yet. The good news is insanity is unsustainable. So at some point, uh, the insanity will end. How bad it's going to get, um, I hesitate to tell people. And we could literally do an hour or two on the doomsday that I see coming. Uh, but at the end of the day, people need to start to figure out really, really quick, quickly that these minuscule things that we deal with and we allow to cloud our daily existence have absolutely no impact or bearing in what is coming to us from other parts of the world that we have absolutely no control over them happening. Uh, the only thing that we're going to be able to do anything about is how we respond and survive from that point forward. Right. Um, and all of this, you know, a lot of the things that we've been talking about here, it, this is interesting because this has been primarily two hours of just talking about Canada. Uh, that rarely happens for me anymore. It's very much um, centric in uh, what's happening out, out, outside of Canada. Um, I do a lot of work for some growing uh, American networks. And uh, it's interesting because where we're being led um, has absolutely nothing to do with common sense. Uh, I don't think that a dark winter is even going to come close to um, 
what it's going to be. I think that there's a misunderstanding of what they mean by dark winter. I think that the eco-terrorists, this whole climate green cult has gotten way, way out of control, so far sideways that they're about to do something incredibly radical. They actually believe that a nuclear war and a uh, nuclear winter would save the planet by bringing down global warming. These are the what the people that pull the strings of people like Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden actually believe. So they are herding us into a potential nuclear catastrophe um, that uh, is way beyond what people can can begin to to imagine what life would be like. And and I I can't even I have. A lot of hope in humanity that uh, we don't get there, that sooner or later there's an adult in the room somewhere, but uh, we're not going to find an adult in the room in America or Canada. That's the scary part. Yeah, it's uh, if you were going into <clears throat> World War II, I'm just going to rewind the clock, and have Biden and Trudeau as the leaders here, I would be shaking in my boots uh, because I just, you know, they don't, give me any confidence they can navigate themselves out of any situation at this point. Well, they can't, they can't navigate themselves out of anything and they don't exist to do that. These guys only exist to uh, drag us into something and that uh, they, you know, and if you ask them, they think they're doing a bang up job of what they're supposed to do. They just, we just don't see the fact that they're working from a, a different set of good boy list than, than what we uh, would consider as, uh, you know, them doing a good job. They're not beholden to us, we the people, in any way, shape, or form. Um, they are 100% obligated to the policies that they have signed on that come from faraway places and unelected corrupt entities that uh, are literally pulling the strings of Canada. Um, we have uh, a leader here in Canada who has literally abdicated his position to a health authority that is controlled by a foreign-funded and controlled agency. Health Canada is not Canadian-funded, in case anybody doesn't realize that. Not a penny of your tax dollars go to Health Canada. Uh, that is 100% been taken over by Big Pharma. So uh, Big Pharma controls uh, Health Canada. Uh, CCP controls uh, 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 that Gollum uh, that runs Health Canada and uh, Trudeau answers to them. So we literally answer to China and pharma right now that controls our country. So if anybody expects any change from our establishment government with the Liberal Party, uh, they're in for a rude awakening. But we just got all the the the, the mandates off, Wayne. Like things are looking things are looking up. We're, we're, <laughs> We're, sure. we're in we're, we we can travel again we can we can do things again uh, for five minutes uh while they regroup uh i can tell you if people start uh, calling you about their hospitals i got a call here the other day uh one of the hospitals here in winnipeg back on full biohazard suits and uh all of that again uh they are ramping up uh fear is the is the tool that they have and they will wage it and wield it any way they can and when we stop responding to the fear they uh knee jerk and recreate and escalate more fear um this entire situation whew, that 
I'd like to do a special one just about the insanity of, of the Ukraine. And don't get me wrong. I feel horribly, horribly uh, for the people of, of the Ukraine. But here's the thing. Those people have been being slaughtered for 10 years uh, to the with our tax dollars and funding. Even our Canadian uh, press uh, published articles the, the national post published articles that the canadian government was in the ukraine training the azov battalion in 2019 already real life nazis do exist they are in the ukraine and we have got some political officials in canada that are absolutely plugged in to that system that entity that ideology the most evil person in canada is not justin trudeau it's actually christian freeland uh who is a facilitator of so much of this uh how should we say it this corporate evolvement of the funding structure behind nazism ukraine is the money laundering capital of the world uh, uh the only nation second to that is canada um our reputation around the world has been absolutely shattered and destroyed unbeknownst to, to us but due to these kinds of things, Canada has become the second largest arms manufacturer and supplier in the world. Uh, how does that happen? Um, what is going on in places like Yemen? Uh, we're not hearing about that. Uh, nobody happened to notice in Venezuela when the armored cars were running over the civilians in the streets. Those were manufactured by S&C Lavalin here in Canada. So Canada on the world stage right now they really don't care if we get bombed into the stone age right now in canada and here we've got this lughead in ottawa uh that is intentionally doing everything to provoke uh a, a world war three we're just gonna have to have you back on Wayne. you know like you go <laughs> you go man why did i wait so long and then you and then and then in the second breath i go nah i don't think like that because uh you it, it's funny how these things just seem to uh, time themselves out, you know, if that makes sense. I assume it does. The Ukraine, everything there, everything you just rattled off about Canada, I go, oh, let's let's put it to the listeners. You're listening to this. You've listened this far, which I'm sure you have. The phone number is in the 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 the, the description, episode description. Jeez, can't spit out my words right now. Shoot me a text, as they always do. If you want Wayne back on, which I'm sure you do, we'll uh, what we'll do is we'll do not a part two, but an episode two here in the future, and and we'll dig into some more of this, you know, because uh, uh, what I always learn about the first time I have anyone on Wayne is I want to get to know them, no different than you probably want to get to know me, and you want to feel things out, and it's kind of like this jockeying, not in the sense of like racing, but just in a sense of like who is this guy. Okay, let's feel this out. And I've certainly followed a bunch of your stuff, but until you're sitting discussing something, you can't really know. And an audience that follows me personally has got to know um, me, I guess, very well. And so when they hear somebody else come on and, and do the same thing, then you know you start to build a repertoire or a little uh, back and forth, a little bit of the audience understanding who you are. And so that means the next time, assuming they want you back on, which I assume they will, uh, we can dive into a lot of different subjects and I'll make sure that they have full notice of when you're coming back on if they want you. And from there, we can we can discuss what they want to hear. Either way, man, this has been uh, like podcasting is an interesting beast because sometimes it just comes so naturally. It's just ooh, ooh. sometimes, you know, it's it's not uncomfortable, but the hour goes and you're like, OK, 
it's time to snap it off. And I look at the time, I'm like, well, what do I do? What, what do I do, folks? Just have them on for eight hours, right? Like, <laughs> that'd be a little bit ridiculous. So I've really enjoyed this. Um, I assume by, you know, the, the interaction we've had, you've enjoyed it as well, which means Absolutely. I'm I'm going to slide into the final question. It's the crude master final question. Uh, shout out to Heath and Tracy McDonald. They've been uh, supporters of the podcast since uh, the very beginning. And it's simple. Uh, it's Heath's words. He says, uh, you know, if you're going to stand behind a cause, then stand behind it. Absolutely. What's one thing Wayne stands behind? Oh, anybody that's uh, ready and willing to stand up and start protecting our kids from the pedophiles and the Satan worshipers, I'm your Huckleberry. Uh, whatever ammunition uh, you can bring to that battle, I'm all in. Uh, this is uh, the purest evil at work in Canada right now, and it has infested our country for decades, and it needs to stop. That is, uh, to me, the most offensive. I mean, I don't care who comes for me, but leave the damn kids alone. And we, where we've gotten is way past uh acceptance and equality folks we've never been more equal on this planet than when we were men and women now we have got 78 different categories to subjugate people with and they want us to believe that that is equity go pound sand so that that'll get me fired up <laughs> well i tell you what wayne it's been uh like i say i'll say it one more time it's been a real enjoyable couple hours uh getting to sit with you one-on-one -on -one. And uh, here's some of your different stages in life and, and certainly some of the things that have led you to here. Um, just appreciate you giving me some time this morning. And I have no doubt that uh, somewhere down the line, our paths will cross again. Well, one of the things that I tend to do is uh, when somebody uh, gives up uh, some of their time on their show to uh, let me ramble and rant and rave for a while, I uh, pretty much put them on the spot and say, we will reciprocate this and you're going to have to join us on one of ours very soon as well, too. Well, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be honored to, to hop on the other side. Um, it's always an interesting feeling being the guest instead of the... Right? instead of the host but uh absolutely wayne any any time i'd love to reciprocate um but uh from this standpoint and i know i'm speaking for my listeners an awful lot because they they dictate a lot of where this show goes at this point there's there's a heck of a lot of smart people that uh feed things along to me if they want you back they'll let me know and and i assume that's going to be an overwhelming yes and i look forward to that as well well i've uh i, I i've got some some People that have been following me for a little while, they know that I've got a, a friend that I've been working with for about three and a half years now, uh, who's based in Moscow, Russia. And uh, we've been working initially, uh, three years ago, we started uncovering some of the corruption involved with the Canadian government, Burisma Holdings, and all of these kinds of things in the Ukraine. Uh, he's now... Otherwise occupied pied, uh, with uh, exposing and talking about what's going on there. But uh, through him, uh, we're going to be covering some more of this stuff from the other side of the planet uh, very, very soon. And and uh, so people that have been following my stuff know that I'm quite plugged into, into that. I've got some very good connections in my network, and uh, it's always interesting. Uh, if You made a good point here before I let you off. If people want to see what you're working on, where do they go? How do they help support you? Um, where can they follow your latest? 
Oh, hey, that's that has been a lot of lessons learned along that way because there's not too many social media platforms I haven't been removed from, uh, and including my websites. They took down all of my websites at one point in time, and then I learned a very valuable lesson that uh, uh, in Switzerland, the internet laws are the same as the banking laws. If you're not breaking the internet laws in Switzerland, they will tell all of the alphabet agencies to go pound sand. So I rebuilt all of my stuff in Switzerland. It took a uh, uh, a long time, but my website is kind of my home, uh, where it's the only place that they cannot take me apart. That's what's up Canada.org. Anywhere else, <laughs> it's a shooting match, whether I'm there one day or not. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> go go find Wayne and his work. And th- thanks again, Wayne. It's been a, it's been an enjoyable way to spend a day. My pleasure. I look forward to uh, any time we can get to do this again, and uh, we'll talk offline. There's good. So I'm 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 a creative uh, uh, dude, and uh, there's a reason our <laughs> our state doesn't like me very much. So we'll see what kind of trouble I can get you into yet, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds good, Wayne. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs>